Hey, this is Pastor Bob Stephen, lead pastor at Pursuit Church SA, and this is our podcast. Listen, would you take a minute to share and subscribe to this podcast? Also, we would love to connect with you, so please visit us at PursuitChurchSA.com or on any of our social media pages. Now, here's this week's message. We hope it blesses your life. So at the beginning of the year, Pastor Bob and I kind of shared with the church, with you guys, the word that God gave us for the year for Pursuit Church, and that was build the temple. And the temple meaning the actual church where we're sitting and also us as individuals, the temple of God. And so this year we're being called to build on what God has already done and then to build with what he is revealing to us as the year progresses. So, um... The passage of scripture that we've kind of been talking about the last few weeks, this is the last day of our sermon series from 1 Chronicles chapter 4. And that passage of scripture is a really good blueprint for how to build the temple. So before we go there again, I want to just remind you that it starts with prayer. 1 Chronicles chapter 4 verse 9 and 10 is a powerful prayer from a guy named Jabez. Because see, here's the thing about prayer. Prayer is what we need when we're going to do anything. When we get ready to get up in the morning and we're getting ready to get ready, getting ready to get ready, let's pray. Bring God into the equation. Anytime we're going to start something or do something, we need to pray. Prayer is very powerful. It shows our humility and our need to lean on God, but it also is the strongest weapon we have against the evil all around us. Because, see, we have a common enemy, and it's evil. It's the evil in the world around us, but it's also the evil that tempts us to sin. And prayer is our powerful weapon. Ephesians 6 tells us what the weapons are that we have that God's given us to fight against the evil in the world around us. And prayer is one of those weapons. And this one prayer that we've given you over the last few weeks is an example of a bold, desperate, faith-filled, and fervent prayer from this man named Jabez. And, you know, actually, this is the only place in Scripture where you ever even hear about Jabez. In the entire Bible, you only hear about him in two verses in the Old Testament. So who was he? Who was Jabez? Well, Jabez was one of the Jewish remnant, one of the remnant of Jews that had survived exile in Babylon. They were in Babylon for 70 years, exiled, away from their people away from their religion, away from all the things that were, that were common to them that they were familiar with. And so after spending 70 years in exile, they were finally allowed to go back to their holy city, to Jerusalem, Jabez and the remnant of Jews. So let's read his story. It's in first Chronicles chapter four, starting in verse nine, get some water real quick. Sorry, y'all. It says, Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. His mother named him Jabez, saying, I gave birth to him in pain. So I want to stop here first. We just learned two things about him. First of all, he was more honorable. He was an honorable man. And second of all, his name is really hard. It carries a heavy negative connotation. His name means pain, sorrow, or grief. And this is significant, y'all, because in the Hebrew culture, a child's name is always intentional, if not prophetic. And Jabez's name had some hard negative connotations, pain, 
grief, sorrow. He had a lot to overcome. And it says he was more honorable. So I believe that he knew God was what he needed to overcome his past. So let's keep reading in verse 10. Jabez cried out to the God of Israel. Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory, that your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I will be free from pain. And God granted his request. Jabez was asking God for four specific things. He was asking for God's blessing, God's increase, God's presence, and God's protection. Jabez understood that the blessings of God can change anything. I'm going to say it again. The blessings of God can change anything. And he came into this world with a curse literally spoken over him. He needed the blessings of God to reverse the curse. Jabez also asked God for more. He needed more influence, more anointing, because he had a big task set before him. Remember, they were released from captivity and allowed to go back to Jerusalem. And the first task at hand was to rebuild the temple. So he needed more. He needed more influence because he needed to help the people reconnect with God. So he asked for that. The other thing is he asked for the hand of God to be with him because the hand of God is representative of the power and the presence of God. Jabez knew he was going to need that with him for this task. And this week, I want to share with you his final request. And that was for God to keep pain out of the equation. That's not an unusual request if you think about it. I mean, how many of us have asked God, take away my pain, Lord, keep me out of trouble. Keep me from pain. I mean, the people in the Bible weren't that different from us. If you look at it, they're not. They're not that different. Humanity is basically the same. And Jabez wanted protection from the pain. Him and the rest of the Jewish remnant had been through already so much pain and trauma in the exile in Babylon. But the truth is, they actually brought it upon themselves. They brought it on themselves because of their disobedience and their hard-hearted their hard-heartedness towards God. You see, sin brings pain. It always brings pain. Jabez asked God to protect him from pain, things like trouble and temptation. Temptation is pain, y'all. Actually, when you think about it, Jabez's prayer sounded a lot like what Jesus tells us to pray. The disciples went to Jesus and they said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. So in Matthew six thirteen, this is part of what Jesus said. He said, pray that you will not be led into temptation, but delivered from evil. Temptation is painful. You have to fight to resist it. It's not easy. And the thing is, we cannot consistently resist temptation on our own. It's impossible. And that's why we need Jesus We need Jesus to lead us away from it so that we can avoid the sin and the pain that always follow. Temptation often leads to sin, and sin always brings pain. Do you see how that tracks? So what is sin? It's disobedience to God, bottom line. And sin, it's like exile. It's like exile in that it causes us to drift away out from underneath the protection and the provision of God. And it always brings pain. I cannot say that enough. 
You know, I know that sometimes some of us have been through a lot of pain and it wasn't anything that you caused. It wasn't your fault. Someone else's sin caused you pain. Well, that's not the sin I'm talking about right now. The sin I'm talking about is our own, our own disobedience to God. What we did or didn't do that caused a chasm or a break in our relationship with God. And that caused pain. You know, all those years in exile, the Israelites had a lot of time. They had a lot of time to reflect and look back on what they did and then how to get back to a right relationship with God. And I think that when bad things happen or we're in a bad situation, it gives us an opportunity to ask some questions, to reflect. Typically, what we ask is why? Why did this happen? Or we ask how? How did this happen? But maybe a better question would be to ask what? God, what do you want me to learn from this? What are you trying to show me? What could I have done better? Teach me, Lord. Show me. That's what King David did. King David prayed that prayer in Psalm 139, and this is what he said. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. He's basically saying, God, I'm giving you permission. Take out your microscope. Look into my heart. Look at my thoughts. Show me what's not good and then lead me back the right way. That's what he's praying. You see, here's the deal. None of us are perfect. Not one of us. We get it wrong sometimes. We absolutely get it wrong sometimes. And when we do, we need correction. Nobody likes that word. You know, when we get it wrong, we need correction. And I read a story. There was a city, Seoul, South Korea. And in 1995, there was this guy and he was building this large skyscraper. Well, in the middle of the design, he changed it. In the middle of construction, he changed the design. And he took out a lot of things that were safety features. Well, the engineers said, hey, you know, you you need to put that back in. Because if you don't, when this building's occupied, it's going to collapse. Well, you know, the guy, typical investor, (laughs) he didn't want to lose any money on the deal. So he was like, I'm just going to do it. So sure enough, he finished the building. And as soon as it was occupied, it totally collapsed. And it killed over 500 people in that accident, that disaster. And here's the thing. This man knew what he was supposed to do. He just didn't want to do it. And because he refused to receive correction, he went to prison. And a lot of people were caused a lot of pain. Hebrews 12, 6 says that God disciplines those he loves. Correction is a form of discipline. God brings correction as a way to teach us and as a way to protect us, protect us from pain. We got to understand that y'all. We got to get that down in our hearts and settle that once and for all. When God sends someone in your life to bring correction, what do you do? How do you respond? It's a rhetorical question. Nobody answered that. How do you respond? Do you take the correction and you make some adjustments and change or do you take it personal and feel like, oh, well, they're rejecting you. So you get offended or maybe you just don't change because you don't want to change. When we aren't willing to take correction, we're missing out on a chance to grow 
and we're stuck. We get stuck. You know, I think that sometimes when we have a wrong view of God, it makes it a little hard to take correction. Now think about that. We don't really understand what a good father is. Because here's the deal. A good father disciplines his children. He doesn't let them just run wild. Because why? They'll get hurt. We need a better understanding of who God is. We can't equate discipline with pain. I know it's easy to do that. And we think, oh, well, a good father would never cause us pain. So when God does bring correction, either through a sermon or a conversation, or maybe even the conviction of the Holy Spirit, we start to question God's character. We think, oh, he's trying to hold something out for me. He's trying to hurt me. That's an age old lie, y'all. That started in the Garden of Eden. God told Eve, you can eat anything you want, just not that fruit. She knew. And what does Satan do? He came along and he twisted what God said, which is what he does. He creates lies everywhere he goes. Matter of fact, every lie ever came straight from him. So he comes in, he twists what God says. And he tells Eve, oh, did God really say you couldn't eat any fruit? He caused her to question God's character. She sinned because she thought God was holding out on her. God is always looking out for our best interest. He always is. He knows what we need to understand. If we disobey him, we're going to step out of his protection and provision. And the result will be pain. And see, Jabez, he wanted to avoid more pain. He'd already been through a lot of that in Babylon. He didn't want anything to do with that. He didn't want to do anything that caused anyone else pain. And he certainly didn't want their disobedience to bring him any more pain. Because, see, he knew his people. He knew that we're prone to getting discouraged, getting angry, and turning away from God and blaming God for their situation. They didn't understand his character. And there were also three major hurdles they were going to have to get past in rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem. And Jabez knew that one of them was the ark wasn't going to be there. The ark of the covenant would not be in the new temple because it had been lost a long time ago. And the Shekinah of God, his tangible presence, that wasn't going to be there either. And the third thing was that this second temple was not going to be anything like Solomon's temple, which is what they were familiar with. It's what they knew of. These things were important to the Jews because they were part of their tradition their religious tradition. And Jabez knew they were going to have to change their paradigm. The remnant coming back to Jerusalem, him included, was going to have to change their paradigm of what they expected in the temple. Because the new temple was going to be more about a commitment to God as opposed to a commitment to tradition. And that was going to be difficult to do. He already knew that. It's hard to let go of tradition, right? We don't want to let go of tradition. It's painful. Why is it so painful? Because we're used to it. And change is sometimes uncomfortable, right? But hear me on this, y'all. Sometimes tradition has to die so that something new and better can be born. Just like the Old Testament Jews, Jabez and the remnant, just like them, the Jews centuries later, centuries later, 
in the New Testament also needed a paradigm shift. They needed a new understanding of the temple. See, when Jesus returned to Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, the people were all excited. They were expectant. They were excited. Just like the Jews in Jabez's time were excited to go back to Jerusalem. They were excited. But they needed a paradigm shift. Because you know what? Jesus wasn't there to do what they thought. He came to fulfill an Old Testament prophecy that would shake things up in such a radical way, y'all. Zechariah 9, 9. This is Old Testament. Zechariah was one of the prophets that lived around the time the remnant was there. He said, rejoice greatly, O my people. Shout for joy. For look, your king is coming. He's the righteous one, the victor. Yet he is lowly, riding on a donkey's colt. The New Testament Jews, they knew about this prophecy. So when they saw Jesus riding in to Jerusalem on a colt, they were excited. They was like, all right. They started cheering and shouting and celebrating because they were expecting things were going to go a certain way. They were expecting a king who would restore the original order of things, the original traditional religious order, including building a new temple, a glorious temple, a beautiful temple. But just like the Old Testament remnant, they also needed to let go of tradition so they could step into something new. You see, Jesus didn't come to Jerusalem on Palm Sunday to restore the original temple. That's what they thought. That's not what he came for. Palm Sunday, Palm Sunday marked the beginning of the end of the temple as they knew it. In fact, the final destruction of the temple was coming just a few days later on Good Friday when Jesus was crucified. The temple was so important for the Jews, y'all, because It was where, I need y'all to hear me on this. The temple was so important because it was where they brought sacrifices to God. They had their religious practices there. Sacrifices there was all part of their religion. But Jesus, he came to blow through religion. And he came to be the ultimate sacrifice. The final sacrifice. And that final sacrifice would be the way to make a relationship for all of us. It was a way for all of us to have a relationship with God. Religion says you got to do things a certain way. You got to act a certain way. And then God's going to be pleased. Then your relationship will be good with God. That's what religion says. Act, do. But relationship? Oh man, relationship? No, relationship says come as you are. Just bring me your heart. I don't need a sacrifice. I want your heart. Jesus's journey into into Jerusalem was to become the final sacrifice, the sacrifice that would open the path to free all of us from sin and so that we could come freely to God to bring our hearts to him so he could free us from the pain of sin also. Jabez understood the power of prayer. He knew he needed to turn everything over to God and he needed God for everything as well. He prayed to God regularly. He was honorable. Scripture says he was more honorable. I believe that means he honored God. He prayed to God. He had regular communication with God. 
That's what prayer is. It's regular communication with God so that we can grow our relationship with him, get to know him better and hear what he wants us to do. And it also draws us closer to him. It's like any relationship with anyone else. If you want to grow a relationship with someone, what do you do? You spend time with them, intentional time with them. And you listen, you talk, you listen. That's prayer. You talk and you listen to what God says. And that's how you grow the relationship. See, God's not interested in religious traditions. That's not what he wants. And that's not why Jesus came back to Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. He came to restore everything that sin took from us. Jesus came to take away the sin and the pain it brings and to restore the relationship that God wanted to have with us from the very beginning. That's the importance of Palm Sunday. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I just pray that it sinks down into our hearts, Lord. I know, Lord, that there are a lot of people here and they may be in pain, you regret, shame, maybe just hurt. God, just hurt. I pray that you just let your soothing balm of your love and your mercy and grace just flow over them right now. Right now, Father. Soothe hurting hearts. Father, a lot of us are facing situations that we just, we don't know what to do. But I know you know what to do. I know you have healing in your hands. I know you have restoration in your hands. So, Father, I pray that if there's anyone here that just needs a touch from you, Lord, that they will reach out to you. And that you meet them where they are. Father, bring healing, restoration, restore the hope. Sometimes in this world, God, we get, we get frustrated. We get um, disappointed. God, restore the hope. Let us all have eyes to see that you are our hope. In you, we have everything we need. God, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your power that you've given us through Jesus Christ, your son. We bless your holy name, Lord. We just thank you for being with us today and calling us into your presence. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray.